All right, Venture, it is great to see you here today. We're going to wrap up our little mini-series on ish. We've been talking about that last week. We're talking about it this week. Let's catch up just a little bit. Last week, the title of the message was Good is the Enemy. Good is the Enemy, as we discovered last week, of Great. We talked about task excellence in your workplace, marketplace ministry. Week two, today the title is Good, or rather, Great is the Enemy. I'm going to push back just a little bit. We were asking the question last week, well, I told a story about a coworker of mine when I used to work on a hog farm. We called him Bob. And Bob would get about 80% done with the job, and he would say, eh, it's good enough for who it's for. Eh, it's good-ish. The question we're asking is, well, is it? Today, we're looking at the back side of that equation. Here's the Bible precedence for this. I'm in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Last week, we leaned into this first part. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You're walking around on the altar of your life, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. As you're doing your thing out there, task-oriented, are you doing it as if you're doing it for God? But the passage continues. It goes on to say, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to push back a little bit at excellence today. We're going to see where actually great can be the enemy of great. Last week we talked about uh, the world and its view of excellence. We even looked at a book, a classic book from Jim Collins, author Jim Collins. I loved this quote and I shared this with you. Good is the enemy of great. And that is one of the key reasons why we have so little that becomes great. We don't have great schools, principally because we have good schools. We don't have great government because we actually have good government. Let's hit the next slide there. I don't have, few people attain, attain great lives in large part because it is just so easy to settle for a good life. In your work, marketplace ministry, how did you do this past week moving from good to great? This week, though, we're going to talk about relational excellence. Good enough for who it's for. Sometimes good enough is good for who it's for. Let me tell you what I mean. I, um, I enjoyed a conversation, a pivotal conversation for me about five, maybe six years ago. I'm talking with a coworker of mine. We were talking about excellence inside church ministry. How do we do our best? It was last week's sermon. And I kind of made this statement. I said, sometimes I feel like excellence can actually get in the way of relationship. Sometimes you take excellence to its extreme and it can actually feel a little bit, maybe even, inauthentic. Excellence can mask, if we're not careful, intimacy. And I said, here's an example. I said, man, you know, if you were to come over to my house and we don't know each other, I'm going to lean into excellence. I'm probably going to clean the house. We're going to maybe spit shine the kids. We're going to chase those dust bunnies away. We'll probably sit out some decent silverware and some decent plates. We're not trying to necessarily impress you, but we want to set the bar high. This is excellence, right? But if we're in relationship, 
If we know one another well, well, paper plates are good enough, right? It is good enough for who it's for. If we're doing life together, I'm not looking to impress you. Rather, I'm looking to get to know you better. Let's gather together in the backyard a game of, Dean, if this goes sideways, I'm counting on you to knock it down, all right? Any of you play cornhole? Any cornhole fans out there? Let's see here. Oh, that was not bad. That was not bad. Hey, speaking of relational excellence, can I invite you, actually get out your calendars right now. That was not bad either. Um, Maybe grab your smartphone, hit that QR code. We've got a thing coming up. We're leaning into this in a big way. Chili cook-off, cornhole tournament. This, we're wanting the whole church to show up for this. It's March 11th, 11 a.m. It's going to run. It is the 11th, right? I have that written down. March 11th. That sounded a little too cute there. 11th at 11. Um, Show up. Bring somebody with you. This is about relational connectivity. We're going to have kind of a competition for chili. We're also going to have, check this out. You have the opportunity, and I'm not joking, to break a Guinness Book World Record. Jay Carp, our discipleship pastor, he did a little digging, and he discovered that the world record right now for the furthest cornhole, get this, blindfolded toss, I just made you really nervous, (laughs) is only 41 feet. I did a little math on this. That's just a first down plus a few feet. If you lean into it, we can do this, no problem. Somebody has a legit chance of breaking a world record right here in this space. Mark your calendars, be a part of it. We're gonna lean into some relational excellence. Blindfolded, I'm gonna try it, ready? Here we go. Everybody lean sideways. Eh, I'm no better blindfolded than I am looking. Relational excellence, sign up for Cornhole. Last week. Last week was for the English nerds. This week is for the math nerds. I want to solve the problem for the solution to ish. So, how do we push ish, it's good enough for who it's for, out of our life? Well, if ish, or the opposite of ish, the solution to ish equals x, here's our equation, right? The next one, it's something plus something equals X, the solution to ish. Well, what are those somethings? If you're taking notes, write this down. It's T-E plus R-E equals X. Let's define that a little further, shall we? What's T-E? Task excellence. This is what we talked about last week. Everything you do, do it as if you're doing it for God. This is excellent. Go for it. But you need to add that. You can't stop there. Add that to relationship excellence. This is why it's so important to gather together, even as a church family, just for the purpose of hanging out and having some fun and getting to know each other and to do life together and have some conversations. Sometimes paper plates are good enough. Relationship excellence. This, task excellence plus relationship excellence, this is how we beat ish in our life. By the way, people are our purpose. When we think about the church, people are our purpose. God's church is in the people business. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. What was lost? Excellent things like maybe a 401k, right? A better bottom line. Maybe lost power or lost influence. No, 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 no. People. People are the purpose. 
So we're going to lean into this idea of relational excellence. We have a vision statement around here. We talk about this often. You hear it often when you come and join us for worship, where we choose to seek Jesus and simultaneously see you. Here at Venture, we're calling people to venture home where we seek Jesus and we see you. This is actually a restating of an ancient concept. This is a 21st century restating of an old concept called the Shema. Jesus actually restated the Shema. What's the Shema? It's a Hebrew word. It means hear. It goes like this. Hear, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Actually, you can find this in three places in your Old Testament scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 11. You can also find it in Deuteronomy chapter 15. And that's about 1,400 years before Jesus comes on the scene. And by the time he's preaching and teaching in the area that we read about the stories of his life in our New Testament Bibles, there's an ancient tradition that's surrounding this Shema, this statement, this stated value in the Old Testament. Well, let's read it together, shall we? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is how you do this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. About 1,400 years of tradition in this. Jesus is on the scene now, and a bunch of lawyer boys approach him one day and say, hey, hey, let's let's push you on this. Let's see if we can trip you up. Let's see if we can challenge you a little bit with a key question. I'm in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, this is one group of know-it-alls in Jesus' time, another group of know-it-alls named the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says, challenge accepted. Here's my answer. Let's see if we can find some relational excellence here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, And with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. He's quoting the Shema. And the second, he adds to it then. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not just about God, but it's also about loving your neighbor as well. Jesus is calling here towards relational excellence. Listen, the Pharisees, they were pretty good at the vertical relationship. Truth be told, they might have been better than you are in following the law of Scripture. There are over 600 of them in the Old Testament Scriptures. Jesus, at another time, he's pushing back on them, and he says, listen, you guys are so good at task excellence, you're actually tithing, giving 10% of your spices. They're doing a pretty good job of task excellence. He said, you're not great at loving your neighbor. You're not great at this horizontal relationship. You're doing decent at this, but we've got some work to do here. Task excellence plus relational excellence. This is how we push back at ish. Last week I shared with you some words for excellence in your New Testament Bible. I want to share with you some in the Old Testament this week. This is how we defined excellence last week. Let's put that up on the screen. Excellence is the delight that inhabits the heart and the mind of a first follower. If you were here for the series in January and early February, we're called to be followers first. Delight in our heart and our mind. 
when we're overwhelmed by the gospel. In other words, there's more pouring in, so we have to pour some out. We spill it out on everybody around us. This is what excellence should look like. Excellence results then in Jesus-fueled action for God's glory, that vertical relationship, and for the good of your neighbor, the horizontal relationship. By the way, your neighbor is not just the person you're sitting next to right now, but it's your neighbor across the street. It's your one. By the way, if you're thinking about inviting somebody to come to the cornhole event, the chili cook-off event, you ought to. It's going to be a one type of an event. We're not going to preach at anybody. It's going to be a relational event, a safe space to just come and be safe and together and to talk and have a great time and laugh and be silly, try to break a Guinness Book World Record. You should inv- if you've got somebody that you're investing in, if you've got a one in your life, you ought to invite them to join you for this event. It's going to be a safe space just to be here together. I told you we're going to look at math today. Does anybody recognize this particular symbol right here? Greater than. That's right. We read from left to right on the equation. Something over here is greater than something over here. If it were switched the other direction, it would be less than. Greater than. I want to give you two greater than statements today that is excellent math. Excellent math, and at each one of these, I'm going to try to throw the bag and see if I can make it. All right, here we go. Here's one. I bounced right off the rim. Here's the first one. People, people are greater than tasks. As we think about pushing back on ish in our life, people are first and always greater than tasks. Remember, we are in the people business, always, every time. For example, I had a moment on Thursday I was kind of task-oriented. I was putting the, the rest of this message together, kind of ordering some things, thinking through the slides that I was going to put them up. I was at a local coffee shop. I've, I've kind of pushed myself to do this over the last couple of years. This has been a great thing for me coming out of the pandemic. It's kind of changed some of my rhythms just a little bit. We're called to be salt and light, and I was challenged, man, I need to get out of the salt shaker and into the world a little bit. And so occasionally, when I'm doing some study, I just go to a coffee shop somewhere out in the community, and I've loved those blessed interruptions. When somebody comes up, they recognize me, or we've known each other from years past, or maybe it's one of you, and I ended up having a significant conversation, or maybe it's with the the, the wait staff or the people who work there in that joint. I've really enjoyed getting to do that. This is happening on Thursday, but I was very task-oriented. I had a bit of a deadline. I had something I had to get to pretty quick. And so I I literally blew right past a good old friend of mine twice. Once going to order my coffee, another time going to the restroom. I had walked right past him. I hadn't even seen him. And so I'm kind of locked in. I'm doing my work. I've got earbuds in, and he walks up, and he sits down across the table from me. Man, Dave, it's good to see you. We hadn't talked for a while. And we sat there and we had some God-honoring conversation. I got challenged. I got encouraged. It was so helpful, so healthy. I hope he feels the same as well. Blessed interruptions. Mutual encouragement. I want to share with you a passage that doesn't get preached a lot. Actually, I'm not sure I've ever put this passage up on the teaching monitor. I don't think I've ever preached this passage But would you agree we should go old school just a little bit? I looked at New Testament words last week. The Old Testament is filled with this idea of relational excellence. In the Old Testament, they viewed everything through a communal lens. Everything 
For example, the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, you uh, gathered together as the entire community and you confessed your sins. And even as I say that, you're thinking individual sins because this is what we do. God, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for what I did on Thursday. They would gather together and they'd confess all of the sins for all of the people. This is how we as a people group, God, have sinned against you this past year. Here's a passage. You're going to giggle. It's better to live in a corner of the housetop than a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. I told you you'd giggle just a little bit. I don't think I've ever preached this passage. In both a literal and a figurative sense here, Solomon is referencing a stereotypical image of a dude who would rather be cold, alone, maybe even uncomfortable than inside with a house who nags and finds fault. It's pushing up against some stereotypes of men and of women. Dawn and I were driving down the road, oh, last week actually. And she was catching me up on the latest gossip. I can't even remember the name of the show, but it's uh, about a family, a dude with multiple wives. They're part of the FLDS group. He has multiple wives. His name is Cody. Apparently there's some drama. Some of the wives are leaving him. Makes sense to me. I think I actually said out loud maybe four or five times, yeah, I couldn't do that. Yeah, that sounds like an awful lot of drama. Yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Not only is that against the the laws of God, but I, I think that's actually against the laws of human nature as well. That doesn't sound great at all. Listen, Solomon in this passage, he's cutting on both men and women in this. It's meant to be kind of a funny look. The guy is in a corner of the roof, like in a three-foot square section. He's just sitting there. His wife is nagging down below in the house, and he's escaped. They're kind of both being hurt in this moment, are they not? He's cutting on both men and women. Is there a better way, maybe a better way toward relational excellence, rather than being huddled up on the roof, rather than chasing your husband to the roof? This proverb makes a reference to wives. The Israelite culture was patriarchal. But it communicates a timeless, uh, uh, common sense principle. How people act in a relationship has a profound impact on the other people in that relationship. It's true for men and women. It's true for husbands and wives. It's true personally. It's true professionally. It's true in a marriage, in a family, in a friendship. It's true in a team. It's true in a business. It's true in a church. It's true even in society. There's a core principle, another math equation. I've seen this several places lately, and I wonder if some of you have sat through some corporate training on this particular equation. Are you familiar with this sociological equation? I think it's getting some traction in marketplace coaching right now. It goes like this, E plus R equals O. E plus R equals O. In other words, here's how it gets defined. Event plus response equals the outcome. Let's take that verse we just read, the event. Dudes are notoriously we just, sometimes we just miss it. For some reason, the wife is upset about an event. The guy maybe is not even aware of what happened, but she's upset. That was the event. Her response is she's nagging. What is the outcome? Well, she's in the house all by herself, and the one she loves is up on the roof trying to avoid her. E plus R equals O. 
Let's take it from the dude's perspective. His event, (laughs) my wife's nagging me. For right or for wrong, maybe that's where it started for him. That's the event. His response is to leave, to escape. He's up on the roof. What's the outcome? Well, he's not in harmony. He's not in unity with his wife. He's missing out on some of the richness that life has to provide. In other words, focus on the response. How you respond to the event absolutely shapes the outcome. If you don't like the outcome, if you're in relational disharmony, don't blame the outcome. Blame your response to the event that got you there. Are you tracking with me? Maybe as you think about this past week in your life, there are some things to think about. As you look forward to the week in front of you, think about your attitude and your energy at home. Think about your emotions and your communication at work. Think about your mindset and your demeanor on social media. Event plus response equals outcome. Think about your patience, your perspective in public. Now think about specific situations in your life. Your attitude when you walk into your house after a long day of work. Is there an event? Is there a response? Is there an outcome that you want to avoid or you want to lean into? How do you respond when your spouse points out your mistake? What do you say to coworkers when a new change is announced in your company? How do you listen to somebody talking about something that's important to them? Event plus response equals outcome. All the while we're aiming at relational excellence. In an earlier chapter in Proverbs, we're given a similar relationship principle. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4 says this, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. This is what we're aiming for. But she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. This is a powerful message about relationships. When somebody acts with excellence, they're a crown to the other person in the relationship. But when somebody acts with shame, they're like rottenness in the bones to the other person in the relationship. There's a word I told you I'd share with you in the Old Testament for excellence. It's found in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. It's the word, the Hebrew word, hayil. Makes me say, it sounds like a karate chop to me, hayil. It can, it can mean a whole bunch of things. It can mean strength in excellence. It can mean might. It can mean power. It can mean wealth. It can mean army. It can mean ability. It can mean virtue. And it all oftentimes is translated Excellence. It's a robust word with some pretty significant meaning. Like here, Hayil is used in Psalm 60, verse 12. Through God we shall do valiantly. That's our word right there. In Exodus chapter 18, verse 21, you shall select out of these people capable Hayil men. In Psalm 18, 39, you equip me with strength, Hayil, for the battle. The key message in Proverbs 12 Four is that God calls us to be high yield in our relationships. He calls us to be strong, virtuous, and skillful in the way that we relate to other people. In a word, he's calling us toward relational excellence. Remember, people are greater than tasks. Let me ask you this question. Through the lens of high yield, how many times does a task get in the way of your relationship, in your marriage? in your friendships. Don't let a warped sense of excellence define your relationship. By the way, your response, in that equation we looked at, affects 
your relationship. How you respond to an event, it absolutely shapes the outcome. You don't get the relationships you want. You get the relationships you build. Everybody wants great relationships, but not everybody is willing to do the work required to build them. You want to do the work? Examine your response. Are you high yield in your marriage? Are you high yield in the way you parent your children? Are you high yield toward your own parents? Are you high yield in your friendships? Are you high yield in your relationships at work? Is there virtuous, strong, and skillfulness to the way that you interact with the people in your life? Where are the gaps in your life? What relationship skills do you need to build? Where do you need to get better? Resist the temptation to evaluate other people. Don't evaluate your spouse or your children or your parents or your friends or your colleagues at work. Evaluate yourself. Let me say it this way. Trust God, do the work, and commit to relational excellence. Because as we're looking at math, excellent math, people are always greater than tasks. Here's another one. As I'm throwing bags here, here's another excellent math equation. Let's go ahead and put that up. Experiencing God is greater than pretense. Nope. Experiencing God, I'm not going to break a world record, but one of you, one of you can do it. Experiencing God is greater than pretense. When I hear the word excellence... Sometimes I can't help but let my mind wander to pretense. Let's put on a fresh set of clothes. Let's put on some kind of a facade. Let's get dressed up and hide reality. We're going to lean into looking a certain way or acting a certain way. This is excellence, huh? Through a relationship lens, experiencing God, what we just did in that second worship song we just sang, we felt something. We're thinking about God and the lyrics of being raised from the grave, raised from dead, resurrection. Experiencing God is greater than pretense, acting like it. Jimmy Carter, President Jimmy Carter is in the news right now. As I understand it, he's just stepped into the hospice season of his life. He has lived a long, rich life here on the earth. And I believe he is walking with Jesus and he's getting ready to step from this life to the life to come. So I've been reading up on President Jimmy Carter. He was the president when I was a little boy. And... um, I don't know, I've just been reading up on his life and some of his accomplishments lately, and and I think this idea of pretense, he strikes me as a guy that paper plates might very well have been good enough for him. That paper plates might very well be his definition of excellence. With all appearances, it seems like he's lived with Christian excellence. We believe he's been faithful to his wife all of these years. I was reading yesterday that they met each other when they were toddlers, actually. His mom and her mom knew each other, and so he's walked a lifetime with his wife. It's said that he still uh, lives in the ranch house that he built for himself. He built it in 1961. It's kind of amazing to think about. I think paper plates might fit his definition of excellence. I did a little dig, and these numbers are old. That There's been a spike in housing values, as you well know, in the last couple of years. But as of three or four years ago, this house was worth $167,000. 
which, according to what I read, is less than the value of the armored secret service vehicle that's parked outside of that house. <laughs> it's actually less than the median price of a house in the state of Georgia at that point, $213,000. I think that number has gone up since then. But I read this quote. Somebody said, Carter cared about building furniture, he was a carpenter, and relationships, relational excellence, and maybe not a lot of pretense. He moved back to this house after he concluded his presidency. And regardless of what you think about his policies or his presidency through a political lens, He's done some amazing things, even post-presidency. He's worked with Habitat for Humanity. He, uh, he took a bad fall not long ago when he was 95, and he had 14 stitches, and he showed up to the job site then with a black eye to swing a hammer for Jesus. I think paper plates, pretense, is not the way that he views excellence. I think the same is true of his faith walk. Here's a picture of people lined up to come in and hear his Sunday school class. He taught a Sunday school class for years and years and years. Get the paper plates out of the way. Or get, get, get excellence out of the way if it's getting in the way of a relationship. Let's lean in. Paper plates are just fine. So how should we respond to God's excellence? God is excellent toward us. How do we respond? Well, I want to share with you we respond in a word, three words, Here's the first one, proclaiming. We proclaim God's goodness. We talked about horizontal relationships. Let's spend just a bit of time focusing on these vertical. Proclaiming. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I think that's what Jimmy Carter was doing in that picture where we saw him teaching there, opening up God's word and sharing truth from Scripture. Imitating. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Jesus put it this way. He said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Lean into excellence in your vertical relationship as well as your horizontal relationship. God calls us to imitate him. We're his children. You've heard the saying, like father, like son, or like mother, like daughter. God made us in his image, in his family likeness. And we're called to look like him. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're called to imitate. We're also called to pursue. Let's put all three of those up there. How do we respond to God's excellence? By proclaiming, by imitating and by pursuing. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 and following says this, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness. He's not done. To godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. This is not a bad definition, by the way, of pursuing God with excellence, working on that vertical relationship in your life. 
Then watch here as Peter drops an excellence bomb next. In verse 8, he says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Remember we talked about task excellence last week in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's amazing. God expects us to grow in excellence of character and conduct, yet he himself empowers our efforts in Christ Jesus. In other words, excellence, pushing back on ish in your life, this is a worthy pursuit of a lifetime. As you pursue God, as you pursue a relationship in excellence with others, the goal here is a 360-degree relational definition of excellence. Don't be like the Pharisees that Jesus pushed back on in the text earlier. They had this one figured out pretty well. But they were missing out on the relationship that could be found, healthily found, in others. I think the Pharisees probably should have shown up to a game or two of cornhole to a little bit of chili bowl cook-off, to get to know one another, to do life together, to enjoy one another's company, to push excellence in that area. I shared a chart last week. We called it the joy chart. As you move up this way, you're also called to move this way to pursuing excellence and joy at work. Let's put a version of this up today. We're called to move this direction. It's that vertical, that vertical relationship to know Christ more and more. And we're also called to share him, not just evangelistically speaking, although that's important, but to share him just to do life together with your small group, to do life together in community with other believers. And then also to be very intentional as you seek to share him with people who don't yet know him. You might think about this, this is the quadrant you want to avoid at all costs. You don't want to camp out over here because you can know Jesus, but you're not sharing him with others. You're just like the Pharisees. This is probably the quadrant that they would have gotten stuck in. You don't want to be over here where you're sharing life, just doing life together with others, but you're not growing in your faith with Jesus. This is the quadrant that we need to aim at. And I would simply ask you today, how, how are you doing in that area? Actually, we're going to respond with worship here in a bit. We're going to respond with communion here in a little bit. You might just take a mental snapshot of this. Where are you doing right now? As you think about excellence in your life, which of these quadrants do you place yourself in right now? Is there one that you might find yourself stuck in and you need to move past that into a better way? And do me a favor. Sign up for our chili cook-off. Sign up for our uh, cornhole tournament. Come and just have some fun. Let your hair down. Let's see if we can enjoy life together. Man, I thought I was going to make that one. And let's see if we can grow together as we seek to grow in this relationship as well. Would you stand up with me right now? I want to pray, not just for our next week, but I want to pray for this moment right now. As you seek to apply this message and you put it into action, do some self-reflection. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for the chance to lean into excellence, to push back on ish in our lives.
I pray right now you nudge our hearts, nudge our minds, push us closer to you. And it's your name in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.